Welcome back to another episode of Bitch, We Got the Tea History. So, um, for today, we're going to get into part 10 of the White History series. So, we touched on, you know, different groups, different tribes from the UZ, the early Iranian cultures. I believe we touched on the Tocharians, the back. Trends, well, maybe not the back trends just yet, but today we're going to talk about the Sakas. So, the Saka tribe, S A K A, we'll get into them right now. So, uh, we'll just jump right into it. Around 50 BC, the Kushan tribe of the Greater UZ captured the territory of the Sakas and what will one day become Afghanistan and have probably already caused the downfall of the Indo-Greek king Hermasius conquering some other uh, Greek person whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce but it's on the slide <laughs> and basically from there the Kushans now became one of the most prominent of the greater UZ tribes so for those who didn't watch the last eight parts in part one of the white history one of the first documented white tribes that were encountered by the ancient Chinese were the UZ pronounced Y-U-E-Z-H-I or Yu-Chi which translates to Western Barbarian aka Conan the Barbarian watch, them, watch that movie too and you will get the whole visual on everything that you are learning about. So anyway, these Kushans, they gradually united all of the tribes into one kingdom and created a brief but powerful empire by the end of that century. So uh, it says by around 100 AD, they extended their domination to the Tarim Basin and the Tokarian populations there. So the um, Tarim Basin, just to kind of refresh y'all, that's an area to the west of the Gobi Desert, which is the coldest desert on the planet, which is right outside the Great Wall of China on China's western border, where the barbarians, the Caucasians live, Caucasian. I'm just putting the shit together. Tarim Basin is where the 6,000, five to 6,000 year old Caucasian mummies were found by the Chinese government that they trying to keep the shit on the low. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, we'll jump to the next slide. So right here in this slide is just kind of giving you just a kind of a little layout of different um, areas and, you know, antiquity. So you have the Scythian, Scythian kingdom shown in this map. Who they had they run from like 600 B.C. to the third century B.C. The Scythians were another tribe of Caucasians that were um, running shit in this Eurasian area. All right, next. 
well, this is a map of the Achaemenid Empire from 550 BC to 330 BC. And this area, the kingdom stretched from the Mediterranean Sea, included Libya, Egypt, all the way to, you know, modern day Armenia, going towards almost parts of India on the east, all the way to Libya and parts of Greece on the west. So now we're gonna jump into the Achaemenid uh, period. The Achaemenid period of 550 BC to 329 BC, during this period, Sogdiana and Bactria were part of the Achaemenid Empire. Sogdians and Bactrians occupied important positions in the administration and the military of this empire. So they went through a Hellenistic period from 329 BC to 90 BC. So after that empire, the Achaemenid Empire was defeated by Alexander the Great. Yep, that same one that you've probably seen movies about. Bactria, Sogdiana, and Merv being part of the Persian Empire had to defend themselves from new invaders. The Macedonians faced stiff resistance under the leadership of Sogdian ruler Spidamenes, and Alexander the Great managed to marry Roxana, the daughter of a local ruler, and inherited his land. Following Alexander's brief occupation, the Hellenistic successor states of the Seleucids and the Greco-Bactrians controlled the area for another 200 years, and what is known as the Greco-Bactrian Kingdom. During this time period from 90 BC to 30 BC, the UZ, them boys, you know what I mean? Visualize that uh, Capital One commercial with them uh, savage barbarians with your wallet. Them niggas, the UZ, they destroyed the last of the Hellenistic successor states and together with the Tokari, Another group of Caucasians who had their own little, you know, empire type situation, and they're also closely related, created the Kushan Empire around 30 AD. So now we got the, uh, you know, little map here. And this is, I guess, from uh, showing India in the second century AD. So India is kind of just carved up amongst many different smaller empires. You know, at this point, it wasn't identified as how we know it in modern terms of India. But you have the different empires in the upper left corner of the map or the northwest portion of this map in green. You have the Kushan Empire. So there you have it. And at the top of that map, the little ridges you see, that's basically the Himalaya mountains. And then the other set of ridges along the top, I believe are the Tian Sha mountain range. Just in case y'all wanted to know that. So 
those two mountain ranges basically served as a natural border or defense against whatever um, empires was popping in China at the time. So it's the mountains served as a natural, you know, border or defense. So boom, for another 400 years until 400 AD, the Kashan Empire was a major power in the region, along with the Roman Empire, the Parthian Empire, and Han China. Notable contact was made with local peoples when the envoys of the Han Dynasty journeyed to this area in the 2nd century BC. At the end of the Kushan period, the empire became smaller and would have to defend itself from the powerful Sassanid Empire that replaced the Parthian Empire. The famous Kushan king, Kanishka, promoted Buddhism and during this time, Buddhism was exported from Central Asia to China. So that's a little tidbit um, of interest because I always thought Buddhism came from China out. But from what they're saying here, Buddhism came from Central Asia into China. So that's, you know, pretty interesting. Okay, moving on. The Sassanids... Heptalites and the Gok Turks. So from 224 to 710 is the time frame that we're we'll talking about with these different groups. The Sassanids once controlled much of what is now Tajikistan, but they lost the territory to the Heptalites, possibly also of Iranian descent, who also, these Iranian um Descendants were also descendants of the UZ. So it's a chain of earlier white tribes who branched off and set up shop in another area. Over time became their own little kingdom with subcultures beefing and at war with other white tribes and kingdoms. Just to put that into perspective for y'all. So let me jump on down here. Boom, boom, boom. So basically, it goes on to say that the um, Sassanids, they controlled the area of what was now known as Tajikistan, but they lost the territory to the Heptalites during the time of Perez I. They created a powerful empire that succeeded in making Iran a tributary state around 483 to 485. But then the Shah of Persia, Perez, fought three wars with the Heptalites. And the first war, he got captured and was later released after they paid ransom to get the king back. Then Perez, Perez, he fought the Heptalites again, and then his ass got captured again. And then he got released after paying another ransom to the Heptalite king. And then after the third war that they fought, where his ass got captured again, they just killed him. They like, nigga, we ain't holding you ransom no more. So they just bodied him. You know what I'm saying? So with that going down, the Heptalites were subjugated in 565 by a combination of Sassanid and Gok Turk 
horses, even though it says cock Turk, but you know, we're gonna we're just gonna roll with got Turk since it says it at the top. Subsequently, present day uh, Tajikistan was ruled by Gok Turks and Sassanids. However, when the empire fell, the Turks kept control of Tajikistan, but later lost it to the Tang Dynasty. And then later on, they end up end up getting control of the area again, but then they lost control of the area to the Arabs. So it's a bunch of shit going on. But just to kind of recap that whole little piece that might have sounded somewhat confusing, you had these Heptalites who was running the block. They got ran off. The Sassanids and the Gok Turks came through. Then after a while, the, the Gok Turks, who are Caucasian and Asian mulattoes, you're going to hear that term mentioned very frequently throughout these history courses. So you had the white and Asian mulattoes, even though more of pure Asians were incorporated into the Turks, but these are the Turks. When I, when I say Turks, just keep that in mind. They, they were really a mulatto mixture of white and Asian, even though more of their numbers collectively were pure Asian. So anyway, um, they was they was beefing back and forth. They end up losing it to the to the um, China, and then whenever they finally got the the shit back from the control of China, then it looked like the Arabs came through in seven ten and just took the block from them again. All right, so now. Um, we're going to go into the Arab Caliphate in the period of 710 to 867. So the Transoxiana principalities never formed a viable confederacy. Beginning in 651, the Arabs organized periodic marauding raids deep into the territory of Transoxiana, but it was not until the appointment of Ibn Kutaba as governor of Khorasan in 705 during the reign of Walid I that the caliphate adopted the policy of annexing lands beyond, you know, I guess where their main little uh, situation was. So anyway, after that time, around seven. Okay, can you put that in layman's terms? What, what did that even mean? So it's just talking about that this area that the um, original Saka people um, lived in, which is basically modern day Tajikistan, after all these different people kind of took over, so they had the, the area held down, then they got conquered by the Turks, and then the Turks lost control of the area. And then the Chinese from like China, China, the Han Dynasty came and took over. And then the, the original people kind of regained control of the area again, only to be invaded by the Arabs. <laughs> so, like, you know what they say, you can't win for losing. 
it's like they under new management once again. So now it's just saying right. that. Okay. So so now because got to understand exactly. And then so how I was breaking down that the Turks were Caucasian and Asian mulattoes. You got them now being conquered by the Arabs. You know what I'm saying? So now you got a mixture of the Arab population, which, depending on which point in history, um, because the original Arabs were fully melanated. So the question is, was this the fully melanated Arabs that invaded? Or was this the mulatto Arabs that invaded, which was a mixture of white and black that, you know, invaded these people who were already mulattoes, which were white and Asian? You get what I'm saying? So now, like, the genetic waters is getting muddier and muddier. Right. And right now, now it makes sense, right. And now you got people, uh, kind of a, a general idea of how when you look at certain areas in that um, Middle East, uh, Central area, Eurasian area, they tend to look kind of quote unquote exotic because they mix with like eight different things from all of the different people that came through and conquered and took over that area throughout history. And then they bounced and then some other people come in, you know what I'm saying? And the population became more blended and 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 you know watered down so blended thing. yeah so where right. they had their own little u- unique look which could be easily misinterpreted as them having their own genetic trait or them being their own race which they not they just are, are they just a result of many conquerings and being diluted with the dna of those conquerors over time so it's going further, breaking down that the entire region came under the control of the caliph and, uh, and Islam. The Arabs continued to roll this area, but they were smart. So when you control an area, you can control it with the iron fist or you can control it with, you know, a silk glove. So it, it sounds like here, the Arabs... They continued to rule through the local Sogdian kings. So the niggas who was already kind of like middle management power players, they let them niggas keep doing what they did. Just know that we the niggas running the whole shit, but we ain't going to step on your toes, but just rep what we repping and you good. You know, basically, you know what I'm saying? So... From there, it's talking about another group of um, Muslims, which is the Abbasids. So it's saying the ascension of the Abbasids to rule the Caliphate from 750 to 1258 opened a new era in the history of Central Asia. And when I say 750 to 1258, we're talking AD. So now we come in closer to modern times in this area. While their predecessors, the Umayyads, another group of, um, another Muslim empire, were little more than leaders of a loose confederation of Arab tribes, the Abbasids set out to build a huge, multi-ethnic, centralized state 
that would emulate and perfect the Sassanian government machine. So the Sassanians, even though they were like some of their original Arabs to come into the spot and put their Islamic stamp in the region, the Abbasids took, took the thing to a whole other level. As it says here, they built out a huge multi-ethnic central state. So that's just speaking further to what I was just breaking down. You had all these different ethnicities in this new um, empire because of, you know, all of the traffic that was running through there over time. But anyway, um, they gave the Near East and tri Transoxiana a unity, which they had been lacking since t the time of uh, Alexander the Great. So now we come in um, onto the next major empire and then in, in this um area even though it's quote-unquote eurasia you go, you're about to really kind of learn how the arabs and islam really started to just become part of like the fabric of that area even with other shit going on so anyway the Samanid Empire, 819-999. Tajikistan harkens to the Samanid Empire. The Tajik people came under Russian rule in the 1860s. Um, it talks about a Basmachi revolt in which the, you know, the local people, the Basmachi, I guess, they rebelled against the Russians who now came and tried to take over the area or successfully fuck tried they successfully took over Tajikistan which is why these people were revolting but then that shit got smashed in the early 1920s um during the Russian Civil War and then it jumps to 1924 Tajikistan became an autonomous Soviet Republic of the Soviet Union and then we jump to 1929 where basically it kept its status as its own little um you know as a Soviet socialist republic so Tajik SSR it kept that status until gaining independence in 1991 after the dissolution of the Soviet Union and when the Berlin Wall came down and all that fly shit. So, like most countries been under the, you know, rule of some empire of some sort, once the ruling force leave, a lot of times them individuals uh, go back to fighting amongst themselves on some petty shit. Just like you see in Africa now. And a lot of these countries, when them uh, Europeans left, niggas went back to their petty tribal squabbles. And it looks like the same thing kind of happened here in Tajikistan because it says they had experienced three changes in government. They had a civil war and a peace agreement among the rival factions in that country was signed in 1997. So then 
we'll touch on a couple of other um, civilizations and many empires in the in the region in that area. So one of them is the Karakhanids and the Quara Shahs, Quarazm Shahs, from twelve eleven to twelve eighteen. So it's saying here that after the collapse of the Samanid dynasty. Central Asia became the battleground of many Asian invaders who came from the Northeast. So if you remember anything, and, you know, I don't know if you still tuned in, Brie, who do you remember from history in Asia that they may have huh. taught you about in school that was tearing shit up in Asia? Um... <laughs> Um, um, can I phone a friend? <laughs> I, I phone you, Dre. Who is it? Genghis Khan. Oh, Genghis Khan. Oh, damn. Okay, this, yeah. This nigga that was running through so much shit. They say that, um, I think one in five people on Earth got a trace of his DNA, or at least you know, his people's DNA. So yeah, one in five people on the planet got a trace of Genghis Khan DNA in them. His empire stretched from the Pacific Ocean damn near to the Atlantic. Like he, he his shit was almost like to the back end of Germany, like Russia somewhere in there, from there all the way to fuck to the Pacific Ocean. He tried to get Japan, but the nigga, you know, fell many times. But he had, like, yeah, I don't know. He might be, like, bigger or, or a greater killer conqueror than Alexander the Great from that ancient uh, time perspective. But anyway, um, so Mongol rule. And, yeah, he was the leader of the Mongolians, just in case you didn't know that. Um, the Mongol Empire swept through Central Asia invaded the Khwarezm Empire and sacked cities of Bukhara and Samarkand, looting and massacring people everywhere. So that's one, one of the many invaders. Another one is this person named Timur, T-I-M-U-R, founder of the Timurid Empire. He was born on April 8th of 1336 in Kesh near Samarkand. He was a member of the Turkish-sized Varlis tribe. So the thing to pay attention to is that word right there, Turkish-sized. Like whatever they were before, they weren't Turks before, but by the time of this dude coming on the scene, his tribe was Turkish-sized. Meaning, them boys ran through. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They were smashing. And if they wasn't, you know, looking Asian before, they started to look more Asian when some niggas ran through and started smashing and killing. You feel me? Um, but anyway, it describes the Barless tribe as a Mongol subgroup that settled in Transoxiana after taking part in Genghis Khan's son, uh, Chagatai's campaigns in that region. So now you've got an area that was already 
um, where you have pure Caucasians trying to hold shit down in their little areas in, in uh, Central Asia. You've got the Turks, which is the Caucasian and Caucasian, uh, the Asian and Caucasian mulattoes, the Turks that's also trying to tear shit up. And then you got the full-blooded Asians via Genghis Khan and the people of his Mongolian uh, lineage that's just tearing shit up everywhere else while at the same time terrorizing these other niggas who might be terrorizing other niggas. <laughs> so it says here further that Temur began his life as a bandit leader. During this period, he received an arrow wound in the leg, and as a result, he was nicknamed Tamir E. Lang, or Tamir the Lame. <laughs> that's, that's why that nigga had to kill, do so much killing and shit. Niggas called him Tamir the Lame. So that, was, that nigga was just overcompensating, I guess. But anyway, it goes on to say, that a couple of people down the line from him, the last ruler of his empire, Badi as Zaman, finally fell to the armies of the Uzbek, uh, to the armies of Uzbek Muhammad Shiabani Khan in 1506. And when you hear Uzbek, yeah, you could kind of think of Uzbekistan or what would later become Uzbekistan. So the Timurid ruler of Fergana, um, Zahir Ud-Din Babur, survived the collapse of the dynasty and reestablished the Timurid dynasty in India in 1526, where they became known as the Mughals. So these cats who was running shit in this one area for a couple of centuries from 1330 something to early 1500s they got rain off the block and then them niggas had to set up shop in india and then they even changed their name it made me think of some uh beanie Siegel lyrics man i need to pull that shit up but uh well, wait a minute. See, now I got to pull that shit up. Let me pull that shit up on this other screen real quick. Beanie Siegel who love What the hell? That's not the shit. But basically, okay, yeah, Benny said, all black masks down with their tools out. Benny Mac, I'll move out. I had niggas running from school picking new routes. Then I'll run and lick a shot and make a move south. Switch up their name and yeah, get a no, new stuff. That. And that's exactly what the Timurid dynasty did. Them niggas left 
basically the area known as Tajikistan, and they had to set up shop in India, and they changed their whole new name to the Mughals. <laughs> he said, scrambled, he said, switch up their last name and get a new spouse. Scrambled up, scrambled up some down payment for a new house. No matter where you go, Matt gonna find you. I'm like a shadow nigga right behind you. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just had to say that shit because that's what that gave me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, so now. <laughs> so back to the Turks. So the Turks. So from 1506 to 1598, we have the Shai Bonnage State, which was divided into appanages between all ma male members, sultans of the dynasty who would designate the supreme ruler, Khan, the uh, oldest member of the clan. Um, the seat of Khan was first Samarkand, the capital of the Temurids, but some of the Khans preferred to remain in their former appanages or maybe, I guess, provinces or, you know, little cities where they was been chilling at so thus Bukhara became the seat of the Khan for the first time ruler under Ubaid Allah Khan so as you kind of go through these names and as we read through what's going on here now you got your Asian niggas just to say it like you have Asians that are now Muslims, you get what I'm saying? Where I'm, I'm just trying to highlight this shit because when we think Muslim, we think a certain look or a certain person. No, once again, just like every no, no, other, no, that's a religion. Exactly, just like every other religion, it's there could be white Muslims. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are. Yeah, yeah, it's not typical, but there is. Yeah. So you have, and at this point in history, you have, you know, these Asian Muslims coming into the scene or whatever. So the period of um, political expansion and economic prosperity was short-lived, and after the death of Abd Allah Khan. The Shabanad dynasty died out and was, was replaced by the Janid or the Astrakhanid dynasty. And this was another branch of the descendants of Zhou Chi, Asian sounding name here, whose founder, Johnny Khan, was related to Abd Allah Khan through his marriage to Abdullah Khan's sister. And these cons, I'm willing to bet, tie back to Genghis Khan. You feel me? So I just had to highlight right, that shit right there. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's see. Blah, 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 yada, yada. So yeah, we'll jump on to the next slide. And we are almost at the tail end of this whole saga here, at least for this particular section. So Iranian and Bukharan rule. 
from 1740 AD to 1868. In 1740, the Janet Khanate was conquered by Nader Shah, the Ash ruler of Iran. Mm, pardon me. The Janet Khan Abu al Faiz retained his throne, becoming Nadir's vassal. So it sounds like even though this one kingdom was taken over by this new guy, Nader Shah, who was basically the ruler of Iran, the local guy who was hands-on on location in the main overall Janet empire was allowed to keep running the, the spot, the local spot, because he was the man out there before Iran invaded. So once again, at this point in history, you know, you have kings and then you have emperors and shit. The emperors started to be smart. You know what? I don't need to be hands-on trying to manage every little thing. You know, nigga, you, you've been running it. I'm going to let you keep running it, but just make sure, you know, you kick that little payment back over to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. Uh, after the death of Nader Shah in 1747, the chief of the Mangi tribe, Muhammad Rahim B. Azalik, overcame his rivals from other tribes and consolidated his rule in the Khanate of Bukhara. His successor, however, ruled in the name of puppet khans of Janet origin. In 1785, Shah Murad formalized the family's dynastic rule, Mangi dynasty, and the Khanate became the Emirate of Bukhara. So now we go. I don't know what that means. So basically, it just sounds like they like, you know, we're a dynasty now. So this, right, shah, okay. this yeah, the Shah guy, like, you know, there ain't going to be no elections after this. You know, my family or whoever family that's in control now, we're going to run this shit until forever. <laughs> you know, right. or until some other new nigga on the block take over. But, but right. basically, that's what that was. <laughs> so... At this point, at the next slide, we now we're touching on Russia popping up with their ass again. Russian imperialism led to Russia conquest of Central Asia during the late 19th century uh, imperial era. So it says between 1864 and 1885, Russia gradually took control of the entire territory of Russian Turkestan, the the Tajikistan portion of which had been controlled by the Emirate of Bukhara and Khanate of Kokand from today's border with Kazakhstan in the north to the Caspian Sea in the west and the border with Afghanistan in the south. Um, so then it goes further to say Tashkent was conquered in 1865 and in 1867 the Turkestan governor generalship was created with Konstantin Petrovich von Kaufman 
as the first governor general. So now this area that's been ruled by everybody from Genghis Khan bloodline to different um, Muslim empires is now the Russians like we next up. You know, basically with right. that name, that name don't get no more Russian. Konstantin Petrovich von Kaufman. It sounds like it's Russian with a dash of German sprinkled on that bitch. Right. So then going further, the expansion was motivated by Russia's economic interests and was connected with the American Civil War in the early 1860s which severely interrupted the supply of cotton fiber to the Russian industry and forced Russia to turn to Central Asia as an alternative of cotton supply, as well as a market for Russian made goods. So we got to stop right there. We be learning about history in our own little bubble as far as like American history. So the, the effects of the American Civil War and slavery, basically, because it was the niggas picking the cotton. We know that. Once that shit got shut down, Russia economy got kind of fucked up for a minute. They had to figure out where they was going to get cotton from now. That's what it's basically right. saying. So um, they had to look at some of these other countries in Central Asia to try to find cotton. And then it go goes on further. The Russian regime in the 1870s attempted to switch cultivation in the region from grain to cotton, a strategy later copied and expanded by the Soviets. By 1885, Tajikistan's territory was either ruled by the Russian Empire or its vassal state, the Emirate of Bukhara. That's the first group of niggas that you just asked me about. Like, what does that mean? So it means basically what I thought it meant. Nigga, we running this shit forever. <laughs> like, whoever these niggas was, they were so gangster that even with Russia coming in, they was like, you you could, so you could run all of that, but you ain't taking our piece, nigga. We been ran this, and we gonna keep running it. We got over here, you stay the fuck over there. We'll do business with you, but you ain't taking our shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, nevertheless, um, Tajik's felt little Russian influence. So going further into the situation with Russia, it says that, um, you know, Russia being a much bigger state and having advanced military they had little difficulty in conquering regions inhabited by Tajiks, meeting fierce resistance only at Jizak and Yura Tayub and when their garrison in Samarkand was besieged in 1868, um, you know, by forces from Shah-e-Sabz, I guess, or Sabiz, you know, forgive me on the pronunciation, but the long and short, the army of the Emirate of Bukhara was utterly defeated in three battles. So them boys that was holding it down for that little minute finally looked like they met their little end. They run was over. So on June 18th of 1868, Amir Mazafar al-Din signed a peace treaty with Governor General of Russia, I mean, of Russian Turkestan, 
Von Kaufman. So that's the that Russian dude with the four names. He ended up losing to him. So then Samarkand and Upper Zarevshan were annexed by Russia and the country was open to Russian merchants. The uh, Amir retained his throne as a vassal of Russia and with Russian help, he helped um, establish control over Shah-e-Sabs, the mountainous regions in the upper Zarevshan Valley. So even though, so it sounds like even though them boys, the, um, the Emirate of Bukhara, they were some hard niggas. They couldn't, um, they got defeated by the Russians, but the Russians must have respected them enough to say, well, you know what, we're going to let you continue to run your little area, but just kind of operate on the interests of, of us, you know, larger Russia, you know, type shit, and, you know, we'll let you live. Yeah, they said, just follow what we say and you'll be all right. Exactly. We will, we will not murder your children. You get to right. go home at the night. <laughs> right. So, uh, during the late 19th century, the Jadidists, the, the Jadidists established themselves as an Islamic social movement throughout the region. Although the Jadidists were pro-modernization and not necessarily anti-Russian, the Russians viewed them as a threat. So it talks about how Russian troops were required to restore order during uprisings against the Khanate of Kokan between 1910 and 1913. There was further violence in, you know, 1916. And then it goes on further to say that Russian soldiers include John over the threat of forced conscription during World War One were attacked basically because they didn't want to get drafted into World War One by Russia. So then it, it says, despite Russian troops quickly bringing Kujan back under control, clashes continued throughout the year in various locations in Tajikistan. So all of this shit and all of these many fucking empires that we went from BC all the way up to the 1900s all had their little mini runs throughout the history of Tajikistan. And that's just one country in Eurasia that we really even like, you know, touching on in, in depth or whatever. So the long and short at the end of 1920, the last Amir, Saeed Alim Khan, was overthrown by Soviet troops. And in 1920, October of that year, the emirate was abolished and the Bukharan People's Soviet Republic was proclaimed. So them boys who was the bad boys of uh, Bukhara, I guess Russia said, you know what, enough is enough. We just taking over this whole shit. So that'll wrap up the, the Sakas and all of the other civilizations that these people who originally were the Sakas would become over time, over time, over time, over time, whether through conquering or being conquered. So we'll wrap up that. And, um, you know, thank y'all for sticking around for, you know, white history 
part 10. So even though we've you know, touched on many other groups such as the Asians, including the mulattoes, which are also Caucasian and Asian, this is still Caucasian history that we're touching upon overall. So as you follow through step by step and you see where these steps lead to, then you're going to be like, ah, this should make sense now. All right, cool. All right. <laughs> Everything they told me was a lie. Exactly. These niggas been lying. They lied to these niggas. They uh -huh. lied to you white people. Having y'all niggas think y'all going on, on Hillshire Farm and shit. No, no. Hillshire. Hillshire. Shia. <laughs> Mother, the crumpet. <laughs> okay.